Hey y'all, before we begin, I want to make sure you know about my live parent workshops. One Friday a month, I host a live virtual parent workshop on topics related to raising neurodivergent kids and teens. We cover topics like how to talk to your child about their diagnosis, how to support negative self-talk, and navigating school for your child. You can register for workshops one at a time, or you can become an all-access subscriber on Substack for instant access to all the workshops and replays. To browse the workshop library and subscribe, go to learnwithdremily.substack.com and click Parent Workshops. Hey y'all, before we begin, if you're a school administrator who loves watching your teachers and students thrive, but you feel your staff needs more training to meet the needs of such a diverse group of learners, I am here for you. I am now offering professional development for pre-K through 8th grade educators, both in-person and virtually. For more information about pricing and scheduling, go to learnwithdremily.com schools to get started. Welcome to Learn with Dr. Emily, the podcast where parents and teachers come together for neurodivergent youth. I'm your host, Dr. Emily King, child psychologist and former school psychologist, and I am on a mission to help everyone understand that nurturing neurodivergent children isn't about changing them, but about changing us. Each week, I share my thoughts on topics related to child development, mental health, parenting, education, and parent-teacher collaboration. You can read more on my Substack at learnwithdremily.substack.com or listen here. So let's get started with today's topic. Hey y'all, on today's podcast, we are gonna be talking about what I see as the three most common reasons behind bedtime anxiety. And this is coming from my years of work as a child psychologist, listening to parents, listening to kids explain worries at bedtime. And mostly these are the three categories that I hear popping up at bedtime. So first, a little bit of background on sleep. All parents know that sleep is so, so important. No one really knows sleep deprivation like a new parent with an infant who wakes up every two or three hours to be fed or changed. I recall about five hours of sleep being my personal threshold for feeling human in those early days of parenthood. Less than five hours of sleep, and I was nearly non-functional. I couldn't handle many setbacks. I couldn't concentrate very well. And that's because sleep is the great regulator. Without it, we struggle to maintain our attention. We struggle to regulate our emotions, and we really struggle to manage our energy. This is why the first thing I always ask parents before we dive into figuring out why a child might be struggling with something new is this. How are they sleeping? Not who are they sleeping with or how are they going to bed at night, but how do they sleep? Is it easy? Is it hard? Are they waking up? Is it not sustained? All of the details around how are they sleeping? Everyone has their own threshold for sleep, kids included. In case you're wondering, you can go to my Substack blog for this week, and I have some links to talk you through the daily sleep amounts for kids and teens as recommended by the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's often a little bit more than you think. And many autistic children and teens are even more sensitive to the emotional and sensory impacts of not getting enough sleep. Children and teens with ADHD can often struggle to wind down and fall asleep, which often impacts the family dynamics at bedtime. 
as we get more tired and more tired, none of us are our best selves at that time of day. Of course, children who are anxious may experience their most intense worries when the lights go out. We've all read about the negative impact of not enough sleep. If you want to read more about this, check all the links in the Substack this week. So we know what the negative impact is, and we know that when our children are well-rested, they're better able to maintain emotionally regulated moments. They are able to handle it when things don't go their way. They're able to access their learning by remaining engaged in the classroom, and they're generally happier. One thing I always notice this time of year is the recommendations that educators will make to get a good night's sleep before a standardized test. And these are recommendations that we should have all the time for our children. Get a good night's sleep, eat a good breakfast, stay in your routine. These are things that help kids learn every day, not just on testing day. So as a child psychologist working with families, here are my top three most common issues that get in the way of kids getting good sleep and my tips for trying to get back on track. So number one is they have anxiety about separating from us. So from the very beginning, parents rely on co-regulation to help babies and young children fall asleep. We instinctively rock and bounce and hum and sing and do whatever it takes to lull our child to sleep. As children grow, they may transition to a safety object that replaces a parent at bedtime, like a lovey or a stuffed animal or even a toy. These items serve as a quote-unquote security blanket, helping a child feel secure when they are by themselves in their bed. For some children, they may not have ever attached to a transition or security object of comfort, or the security item they have just might not be enough regulation. They may not feel secure enough to fall asleep without their caregiver present. And as children get older, they get more skilled at negotiating, and they may engage in any number of quote-unquote tactics to prolong separating from us as the caregiver at bedtime, especially if they're feeling alone or scared. You may get requests for one more drink of water, one more story, one more song to get a parent to stay just a little bit longer. Sometimes kids begin to talk about their fears that happen when they're alone, like the dark or an unexpected noise, which I'll talk about next. Your child is seeking connection with you, and this is a really good thing in general. But if our goal is to help them learn how to feel safe falling asleep on their own so that everyone can get their best sleep, keep listening. So what do we do about this if our child is having trouble separating from us at bedtime? So during the daytime is when we need to work on these strategies. Engage your child with a discussion of a plan to make their bed the most comfy place to get a good night's sleep. Let them be in charge of things. Let them get it all fixed and situated like they want. Allow them to rearrange their space, choose items that help them feel safe, and tighten up that bedtime routine to be as predictable as possible. When the bedtime routine is simple and consistent, over time, kids will learn that attempting to negotiate a snack after brushing their teeth, for instance, just isn't in the plan. Children will also begin to feel safe within the consistency of their routine because it's predictable. Remember that the routine belongs to the child and not the parent. Now, let me explain what I mean. While each parent 
might have a special thing that they do to connect with their child, like mom always reads this book and dad always sings this song, the step-by-step of the bedtime routine needs to be led by the child so that it can remain consistent even if the parents go in and out of the routine. So if one parent wants to meet up with friends or another parent works late or neither parent is there and a grandparent or sitter is putting your child to sleep, then that grandparent or sitter can have a connection moment with your child that's unique to them, but that the actual routine and step-by-step of getting ready for bed is child-led. Otherwise, as a parent, you will feel chained to this routine, and it's exhausting and not sustainable. So once you have the routine down, some kids will need extra support with making it visual, incorporating with them to help them remember what to do, but whatever works for your child, making it simple and consistent is the best. Some children will still need an added strategy to stay in their bed after that last goodnight kiss. Many kids benefit from knowing that their caregiver will come back and check on them in one minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, and so on. So one strategy is to encourage your child to stay in their bed until you come back and check on them, as opposed to telling your child to come get you if they need you. They, of course, will need you if they're having trouble separating, but if they stay in their bed and they wait their body will continue to settle and get sleepy over time, and they tend to fall asleep in their bed while they're waiting for you. And just the knowledge of knowing you're coming back to check on them helps them remember that they are safe and secure. I want to say hi to all the teachers out there learning with me. Thank you so much for being an educator. I see you and appreciate you and how you keep showing up for our students every single day. In my work as a school psychologist, I know that it helps to have a way to stay organized when thinking about your students' needs. That's why I created two free resources for you. The regulation roster helps you notice how your students seek emotional regulation and keep track of it. And the reframing behavior worksheet helps you problem solve emotional dysregulation when it happens. For these free downloads, go to learnwithdremily.com slash roster or learnwithdremily.com slash reframing behavior to get started. I want to welcome any parents who are new to this journey. If your child has just been identified as autistic or diagnosed with ADHD, learning differences, or is twice exceptional, welcome. You are in the right place. You may also be overwhelmed by all the calls and emails you're having to make to providers as you're building your child's team. That's why I created the Referral Tracker, which is a free download at learnwithdremily.com tracker. This free resource explains what each provider does and gives you a template to keep track of all your research. Just go to learnwithdremily.com tracker to get started. So number two is they may have anxiety about their environment. If children are scared to be alone in their bed, you've likely heard them say things like they're afraid of the dark or there's a noise that they can't explain or they just can't get comfortable. So when our children voice these complaints, it's it's sometimes really hard to tell if it's a true fear or meaning that it's an irrational fear, or if it's a stalling tactic, like I mentioned before, and they're really just seeking connection and trying to avoid separation from us. So 
If it's really hard to figure out, just target both with some of the strategies I mentioned before and some of the strategies I'll mention next. When you target both concerns by helping them feel comfortable as possible and also checking back on them to build independence, then you will solve one or the other problems and it doesn't really matter which one you're solving, your child will feel safe and secure. So what to do if your child is anxious about their environment at bedtime? Most of the time, making sure kids have ownership of how their bed is set up, how their sleeping space is set up, can help with any worries about them not feeling comfortable. If they have declared their space comfortable during the day, then that should boost their confidence that they can expect it to be comfortable at night, and that might be because of the way it's arranged or certain items that are there. However, The unseen fears at night, like the dark or the ominous noises, are sometimes a little bit more challenging to support, but here's what I would suggest. So first, we want to start with explaining to our kids that their room and home remain safe, whether the lights are on or the lights are off. For example, talk through how you've never seen monsters when the lights are on, and then use night lights or flashlights to help you prove it and play around with it a little bit. This is often a good time, too, to introduce the idea of a real worry versus a trick worry to a young child. Trick worries are really a label for irrational fears, and they are things that can't really happen, like monsters or aliens in your closet. Real worries are things like thunderstorms that are a real danger, and most kids know I would never go outside and climb a tree during a storm, and so that feeling of a storm being dangerous gives us a nervous feeling and then we go inside to stay safe. So that would be a real worry that they can then solve by staying safe. So we can then let our kids know that even if they hear a storm or a siren outside, they're safe inside and can trust that we will keep them safe. Next, it can be helpful to add play to a dark room to give your child more positive associations with the dark. Play with a flashlight in your child's room, making shadow puppets, and they will begin associating a fun memory with the dark. Another strategy is to lie down in the dark with your child at bedtime and play a guessing game about all the noises you hear. Most noises can be explained by appliances, HVAC systems, plumbing, and the neighbor's dog. Helping your child connect noises to people or things they are already familiar with during the day will help ease their mind at night. Number three, anxiety about their thoughts. This is a big one this time of year. Some kids have test anxiety and there's lots of talking in May about end of year tests. And sometimes kids will have worries at night about the things they need to do during the day. Once kids know they're safe to sleep alone, they can still be kept awake by an endless list of thoughts. We can too as adults, so listen in if any of these strategies will be helpful for you. Children who are anxious during the day may actually experience more intense worries at bedtime. The most common reason for this is that during the day, they're distracted by school, family, friends, and entertaining things that keep their worries in the back of their mind. At night, their anxious thoughts take center stage and seem much more significant in the dark and quiet. Like I said, this is true for adults too. So think about how many times you've worried about something at night just to wake up and it seems like no big deal in the light of day. 
I often ask kids to think of their anxious thoughts like a character in a musical or a player on a sports team, whatever makes the most sense to them. During the day, our anxious thought is just one actor blending in with the chorus. At night, our anxious thought gets a solo performance while everyone else is waiting backstage. We might feel more anxious because we notice our thought more, but it's not necessarily scarier or bigger. It just seems that way because it's in the spotlight at night. Okay, so what to do. Many kids I've worked with have benefited from writing down their nighttime worries on a notepad, by their bed, or dictating it to a parent. This doesn't have to be in the form of journaling paragraphs, as many kids I work with do not like writing. But it can just be bullet points on a notepad that serves as a brain dump before climbing into bed. Have your child say goodnight to those thoughts or trick worries and tell them that they will deal with them in the morning. When your child wakes up in the morning, have them look over the list and cross out those trick worries and make a plan together for the problems that need to be solved. So what if your child has anxiety about their anxiety? So some kids will have anxiety about not being able to fall asleep and then get anxious that they will be tired the next day. Always remind your child that their body is a machine that will always eventually get the rest that it needs. If your child is struggling to settle beyond these strategies or more nights than not during the week, check in with your pediatrician or a mental health provider to talk through strategies specific to your child and family so that you can all get the rest you need to feel your best. This has been Learn with Dr. Emily at the podcast. For more resources, including both parent, teacher, and school resources, visit learnwithdremily.com or read my substack at learnwithdremily.substack.com. Also, we are publishing this podcast weekly, so make sure you're subscribed by pressing the plus, follow, or subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're using right now. This podcast is edited by EarFluence. All information discussed on this podcast is for educational purposes only. If you have immediate concerns about your child, please reach out to a mental health or medical professional. I'm Dr. Emily King, and we will keep learning together next week.